In our message series, we're learning how to follow God's heart. We've been looking at the life of David, and we've seen so far, as we've been in this message series for the last few Sundays, God has blessed him and given him great success. He seemed like the model king. But today we're going to see that no one is exempt from temptation's lure. And there was only one perfect man who ever walked the face of this planet. It wasn't David. Uh, it was Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, verse 8, you can follow along in the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun to me. I really wouldn't want to be devoured by a lion. So that's something we want to avoid. But that's what the devil is trying to do to each one of us. He looks for our weak spots, he throws temptations at us, and he hopes we're going to take the bait. And so this verse tells us to be watchful, to be on our guard, because the devil is always prowling around looking for some weakness to attack in our lives. Now, how does temptation work? Well, James tells us in James 1 verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, the way I see this is the devil our attention with a temptation. And our own desire responds to that temptation. If there's nothing within us that responds to the temptation, then it doesn't go anywhere. It has no effect. But if your desire is drawn toward that temptation, it's the beginning of trouble. Martin Luther, many years ago, gave this famous illustration, which I like a lot. He said that temptation is like a bird flying over your head. There's nothing you can do about that. The trouble begins when you let the bird build a nest in your hair. And that's when uh, you start, your desire begins to consider this temptation, you think about it, and you're drawn to it. And that's when we get in trouble. James goes on to say in verse 15, desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so when we succumb to temptation, when we give in to it, when our desire for the temptation overcomes our resistance, then we succumb to that temptation and we sin. And the result of sin is always negative. We're going to see that this morning. And unforgiven sin, of course, leads to eternal death. The good news is Jesus came that our sins might be forgiven. Now, what would make a person give in to temptation? One of the things that God's really been speaking to me about lately is, is the realization that every temptation is a lie from Satan. Every time, in the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Eve and said, if you eat this fruit that God commanded you not to eat, you will not surely die. God had said you will surely die. Every temptation is a lie. And when we believe that lie, we are on our way to giving into it. There's some common lies that Satan uses as he tempts us in a variety of areas. Here are some of them, some examples. No one will ever find out. Just between you and whatever. Another temptation is it's, it's really not going to hurt anyone. Why not? Everyone else is doing it. 
They don't seem to have a problem with it. Why not just follow the crowd? I deserve this. That's just a little thing, but I really want it and I deserve it. Perhaps one of the most enticing temptations is I can just say sorry afterwards and God will forgive me. And if I do it again, I'll just say sorry again. And I'll just keep saying sorry and everything will be okay, won't it? We're going to talk about that as we go on. So today's message is entitled, Recovering from Failure. We're going to see how the greatest king, arguably who ever lived, besides Jesus Christ, of course, how he fell into temptation and he ended up breaking five of the Ten Commandments. But from his example, we're going to learn how we can better resist temptation and how to recover from and not be destroyed when we do succumb from time to time. So first of all, we're going to talk about resisting the lure of temptation. Our story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And so this first verse sets the stage for what is coming next. It was the time of year when kings led their armies into battle. And Israel was at battle with their enemy, the, the Ammonites. But was David at the head of the army? David was not leading the army. He was taking it easy in Jerusalem, as we're going to see. David was not walking in his, his calling of leading the nation of Israel, of being king. And Satan was going to take advantage. So let's see how the temptation came in verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So what was David doing in the middle of the afternoon lounging on a couch? He certainly was not ruling the kingdom. He was not leading the army. He was not even doing the things that kings were supposed to do. He was just taking it easy, vegging out, as we would say. The roof of the king's house was higher than all the other houses, and so he had a good view of everything going around. And as he looked around, his eyes just happened to rest on a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop, apparently. Now, things got very hot in the houses those days, and some, oftentimes people would go to the roof to do various things, and normally on the roof, nobody else could see what was going on. But David did see, and that was his temptation. Would David resist that temptation, or would he pursue it? Well, as we read in the story, David sent messengers to inquire who this woman was. So he didn't just let this gaze, this temptation go. He wanted to find out who this woman was. The messengers came back and said, well, this woman, she's named Bathsheba, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, so this was a married woman. And she was married to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was in the army, and he was off fighting the Ammonites while David was lounging on his couch. And so she was by herself. Uriah was nowhere around. 
he wouldn't know what happened. Well, David took the next step in succumbing to this temptation in verse 4. David sent messengers again and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she'd been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. And so David sent his men and they took her. It seems to be by force. She had no choice. David committed adultery with her and then let her go back to her house. Over the course of time, Bathsheba realized that she was pregnant. She had conceived and she notified David. Well, this wasn't part of the plan. Now there was a child involved. Now David's sin could not be easily conceived. He had not resisted the lure of temptation. So let's think about some of the lessons that we can learn so far. David's first mistake gives us a clue on how we can be on guard against temptation. David was not pursuing God's calling for his life. He was taking life easy. You see, when you're running hard after God's purposes, when you're fulfilling your calling in life, a temptation has a hard time catching up to you. If you're just in neutral, it's much easier for temptation to catch up to you. And if you're going after temptation, then you're in big trouble because you are certainly going to collide with it. David was just lounging on his rooftop looking to see what he could see. And for whatever we know, maybe this wasn't the first time that he was a peeping David. When we're following hard after God, it's far harder for temptation to catch up to us. So to bring it back home, when we are just idle, when we are simply surfing the internet to see what we can see, or channel surfing on channels, guess what? We're likely to end up with some temptation. Somebody once said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. It's not a verse in the Bible, but it is certainly it is certainly true, and it was true in David's case. Now, when temptation comes, the Bible tells us that there's always a way for escape. In fact, the Bible tells us there's no temptation taken us. That's too difficult for us. There's always a way to escape. You can't say, the devil made me do this. I had no choice. There's always a way of escape. David could have escaped a number of different ways. At the first glance, he could have just looked away. He could have gotten down to his house. He could have gotten busy with his work. When the first messengers reported that Bathsheba was a married woman, he could have said, oh, okay. I mean, he still had sinned sending the messengers. Why was he doing that? Anyhow, she was single. But if she was married, he should have stopped right there. And yet David continued to lust after this woman, and finally he succumbed. Now Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, showed us that one of the best ways to overcome temptation is by using the Word of God. David knew the Word of God. I mean, David wrote one of the largest books in the Bible, but he wasn't using it at this point in his life. God wants to teach us how to resist temptation. Next, 
David had succumbed to temptation. Now we need to learn the lesson about not covering up our sin. Because things are going to go from bad to worse. 2 Samuel 11, verse 8, Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So what is going on here? Well, the story is that David is trying to find a way to cover up the pregnancy of Bathsheba. And so he calculated in his brain, let me call back Uriah from the army. He'll come back to his house. He'll sleep with his wife. And lo and behold, somehow that will, it will appear that Uriah was the father of this child. And so the only people who would know differently was David and Bathsheba. Uriah would not go down to his house. He thought all the other men are fighting. Why should I enjoy the comforts of home? I'm just going to sleep here by the king's house. I'm not going to go. David tried over and over again to get Uriah to go to his house. He even got Uriah drunk. And still, Uriah would not go home to his house and take part in David's plan. Well, what was David going to do? Things were going from bad to worse. Uh, it was going to become public knowledge that he had slept with a married woman, that's adultery, that would not look good for the king. The only remaining option so that Bathsheba would not be a married woman was for Uriah to die. And so David then began to plan how he could have Uriah killed. Verse 14, in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. How ironic. In the letter he wrote, send, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. And so David sent this letter describing how Uriah would be killed. He sent it with Uriah's own hand. Joab was the commander of the army. They would go into the thick of battle, put Uriah at the front lines, and then... At the key moment when the battle was the fiercest, they would drop back. Uriah would be left by himself with all the Ammonites, and he would be killed. Although David would not kill Uriah by his own hand, Uriah would not be killed by an Israelite. He would be killed with an Ammonite sword. It would be by the plan of David. Joab carried out the plan. Uriah was killed in battle. And so now David could take Bathsheba as his wife and continue to cover up his sin. Well, the news came back. Uriah had died. Uh, Bathsheba went into mourning for her husband. And then in verse 7, 27, when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so David believed the lie that only Bathsheba knew about his secret sins and if he could cover up everything, life could go on and he could have the woman of his dreams. But God knew what David had done. And perhaps Bathsheba didn't even realize what David had done to have her husband killed. 
Probably not. I'm sure David didn't tell her. But God knew what David had done, and he was very, very displeased with David. After all the blessings that God had poured into David's life for David to do this, God was displeased, both for David's initial sin of adultery and then the cover-up with the murder of Uriah. And so we see that the covering up of sin, rather than repentance for the sin, makes things even worse. Adultery led to murder. We learned a lesson. Don't cover up our sins. Now, thinking about ourselves, there, there are two ways that we're tempted to cover up our sins. Uh, the first is simply to try to ignore them and try to, they're no big deal. Some of the lies of Satan we already talked about, everybody's doing it, no big deal, whatever. You know, I'm just going to keep doing it or I'm not going to repent and ask for forgiveness, do nothing about it. Perhaps you might even rationalize, rationalize it in some other way. The other way that we try to cover up our sin is, is oftentimes we're tempted to lie about something. And we see in this story, other stories, life in general, when you lie, you're generally going to have to lie again. And the next lie is going to be bigger, and eventually it's going to be discovered, and you're going to be in a really, really big mess. As we observed in David's story, one lie leads to another and even bigger sin. And God's Word says that we cannot ever truly cover up our sin. Even though you may feel it's only you and God who know about what you've done, even if that's the case, you're going to reap what you've sown. God knows what you've done. And if we sow to commit wrong, we're going to reap bad consequences. If we sow to follow God, we're going to reap His blessings. So rather than covering up or ignoring our sin, we need to respond to God's conviction. The story continues in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. David knew that he'd done wrong. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, he knew from the very beginning he was doing something wrong. I mean, David had walked with God. He knew the law. He knew God. He'd written numerous psalms before this time. I mean, it's incredible how he fell into this temptation. David was not responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, so God sent Nathan the prophet. God had revealed to Nathan what had happened. Nathan hadn't sent a private investigator to find out. God just told him what had happened, and God sent him to speak to David. And so Nathan told David the, the story of a poor man who had a little lamb that he loved. He just loved this little lamb, and he, he ate with this lamb, he snuggled with this lamb, he was with this lamb, it was the only lamb he had. Uh, it was just almost like a child to him. And there was a rich man. He had flocks of sheep. And a guest came to visit the rich man. And rather than sacrificing one of his own sheep to feed his guest, he went to the poor man and took his one and only lamb, sacrificed the lamb, and fed it to his guest. And Nathan asked David, what do you think? And David was incensed with this rich man who took the lamb. He said, this guy ought to die. 
And how did Nathan reply to David? In verse 7, Nathan said to David, as he said, this rich man ought to die. He said, you are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. David was the rich man. He'd been rescued from Saul after he'd been chased for years in the desert. He'd been anointed king. Now Saul had died. He'd been elevated to the kingship. God had blessed him, given him victory over his enemies. David had many wives. Not a good thing. Uh, He'd been warned against it, uh, but he had many wives. They weren't wives of anybody else. It was still not right, but he wasn't stealing other people's wives. And yet he went and took Uriah's one and only wife for his own. And that was not the worst of David's sins. Nathan goes on to say, Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And so David was a murderer. This was not a spontaneous murder. It was, not a, it was a calculated plot that he carried out to have Uriah murdered. And seeking to cover up his sin of adultery, he had committed an even worse sin of, of murder. And Nathan goes on to tell David, That the sword would never depart from his house. There would always be war. And God even spoke through Nathan to tell him that evil would rise up against him from his own house. We don't have time to go into it, but his own son Absalom rebelled, fought the king, ended up dying. And David had trouble for the rest of his reign in many different ways. But the good news is that in verse 13, David said to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin or forgiven your sin. You shall not die. And so in hearing the conviction of God through the prophet Nathan, David repented. He allowed the conviction of the Holy Spirit to enter his heart. He repented. He he admitted he'd done wrong. He turned from his sin. And it's a very short uh, description of it here in 2 Samuel. But if you read Psalm chapter 53, David wrote a whole psalm about his repentance. And you can see the true remorse that he had for the sin that he had committed. And Nathan replied to David's repentance was that God had forgiven him. He would not die as he had wished for the rich man to die in Nathan's story. And yet the consequences of his sin would continue to be seen. The child that was conceived with Bathsheba got sick. David prayed that the child would be healed. The child died at the Lord's hand. And so even after being forgiven, David's life still had the consequences of his sin. Now God forgave him, and from Bathsheba was born Solomon, was in David's line, 
in the line of Jesus Christ, and Solomon became the next king. The story is, or the principle that we want to learn, is that we must respond quickly to God's conviction. So how are we convicted of sin today? Well, God has given each of us a conscience. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction and he brings a sense of guilt whenever we sin. Now, consciences can be hardened. Consciences can be seared. If one sins repeatedly, one may no longer feel the twinge of conscience like you did at first. But God has given each person, saved or unsaved, a, a conscience that tells us when we've sinned. The Holy Spirit also uses God's Word to bring conviction of sin to us. As we read God's Word, as we listen to God's Word, God will highlight areas in our lives that we need to repent of, areas that we have sinned in. And once we recognize that we've sinned, which really should be on a daily basis, we must repent of that sin. Let's talk for a minute about what is, what is repentance. Repentance is admitting that we've sinned and turning away from that sin in the future. And true repentance, I believe the Bible teaches, is that if we were in the same situation again, we would not give in to the temptation. So in David's case, if he truly repented from his sin, if he was on the roof the next time and he saw a woman, he would not give in to that temptation. That is true repentance. Simply saying sorry, but I do it the next time again and say sorry again, is not true repentance and I don't believe we'll receive forgiveness. And so the quicker that we repent, the sooner we can get right with God and back on track with Him. And so God wants us to respond to His conviction and so temptation is, temptation is something that we all face. Even Jesus was tempted, just like us. But he never succumbed to temptation. He always found the way of escape. Resisting temptation begins with recognizing, recognizing the lie that's behind every temptation. Seeking God first in all of our life, pursuing the things he's calling us to do, is the best way to run away from temptation rather than to run towards it. Idleness. Or knowingly putting yourself in a position to be tempted is, is dangerous. And in fact, today, I believe temptation has always been around. But it's far easier to fall into temptation because with a click of a button and a little computer you carry in your pocket you can be tempted with the most horrendous things that have ever existed. And if you just kind of randomly scroll through things, you will, you will end up with something where you're tempted. And so God has given us tools to use for his purposes. Uh, use them with direction. Uh, use them as they're supposed to be used. Uh, as a believer, and you will be fine. But idleness or putting yourself in a position to be tempted is dangerous. If we do give in to temptation, we mustn't try to cover up our sin. Hiding sin just leads to more problems and usually more sin. God wants us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's conviction. 
when the Holy Spirit whispers to you that's wrong or don't give in to that, to respond to that. Or if you have slipped into temptation, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I repent. Strengthen me so I won't do that again. God brings conviction as we read his word. That's one of the reasons we need to read his word each day. God brings conviction through other people. God brings conviction through simply his Holy Spirit speaking to us. And as we acknowledge our sin, as David did, as we repent, God brings forgiveness into our lives. He brings us back into fellowship with him, and he gets us back on the track with him. No sin is too big to be forgiven. That's a lie of Satan, that some sins are too big to be forgiven. No sin is too big to be forgiven. I mean, we see that right here with David. Those were pretty big sins. He had no excuse. He knew what was right. But God forgave him. No matter what you've done in life, God can forgive you. He can forgive anyone if you turn to him and ask for forgiveness. Now, repentance is really the first step to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The first time that you really repent, you turn away from your sin, is simply admitting that you've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So each and every person has sinned. We're all in the same boat. We're all headed for an eternity apart from God. Unless we accept God's free gift through Jesus Christ. And that begins with admitting that we've sinned. Repenting, turning away from that sin. Asking Jesus to forgive you. Believing that Jesus died on the cross. Paid the penalty for our sins. That we might be forgiven. He rose from the dead. He's alive today. And we commit our lives to following him. And his purposes for our lives. So I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. I'm going to pray. If you never prayed a prayer like this before or you'd like to recommit your life this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. So let's pray together. God knows your thoughts. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I turn away from those things. I, I repent. I believe Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe you rose from the dead. You're alive today. And I commit myself to following you all the days of my life. For those of us who are believers, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and the examples therein. This was an example that we are not to follow, and we thank you for showing us how easy it is to fall into temptation. Help each one of us to resist the lure of temptation, God. Help us to discern the lies of the enemy that seek to tempt us away from you. Help us to be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And God, when we do sin. We pray that you would convict us of that sin, that we would respond to that conviction, that we wouldn't try to cover up our sin, that we wouldn't try to hide it, that we wouldn't try to ignore it. But each sin, whether they seem small to us or big, that we would 
turn to you and seek your forgiveness. Lord, may we spend time daily in your word that your spirit might speak to us. May we have sensitive heart to you. May we run hard after your calling on our lives, the things you're calling us to do. Forgive us for the times when we're just idle, kind of waiting for a temptation to happen, God. Help us to be focused in our lives, focused on seeking your kingdom first. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.